Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. I'm Andy Hughes. I'm here with Alex Hudson. Hello. <laughs> you sound like you're lighting the um, lights of Gondor. I was going to start by doing uh, the opening to The Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Yeah. Forgot the lyrics. I think it's when <laughs> I was a young boy, but I don't know. Uh, My father took me into the city. To see a marching band. He said, Somewhere you, you grow up. up. Okay, we can't do it anymore because... Because <laughs> it's an eight-minute song, yeah. and that's and, like... and it contains four or five different songs within that eight minutes from what I remember of the song. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of changes within it. Anyway, hello everyone, welcome to the uh, Sunday episode of the Dancer Man Nerdcast. So nice to see you. You've introduced yourself already, I forgot, yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, this is Andy Hughes, <laughs> but you, you're aware of who um, we are. Today, what we're looking at is the career of one of the... Most respected, no. Most what? <laughs> well, if you're if you're going to be facetious Pro- about it, yeah, let's, let's let's be dicks about it. Yeah, no. One of the most respected directors <laughs> working today, a man who's been compared to Spielberg. That is true and clearly incorrect. <laughs> a man Spielberg doesn't well, like being com- compared compared to Spielberg in the way that like it's like. Is this man a thousand times worse than Spielberg? No, <laughs> he's a million times worse. Uh, basically, to some, I always say to celebrate, but half the time well, no, not, to, well, yeah, it's to to sort of to commemorate, to mark the uh, arrival of his new film, Split. We're going to be talking about the career of M. Night Shyamalan. Is that how we're pronouncing it today? How would, Shyamalan? Shyamalan. Shyamalan. What's that? Uh, oh, I was doing smells like Teen Spirit, but there's like a <laughs> what's Shyamalan? There's oh. no, there's a dance <laughs> tune that sounds like. Oh, you want to um that one? It's Pigbag, right? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, now we've had a distracted <laughs> moment. Sorry, everyone, it's Sunday and I've I've got an eye patch on. <laughs> it is the most off-putting thing ever because I keep looking at you. I'm really like, sorry. The only way I can describe it is if you've ever seen Walking Dead, he looks like the governor. Which is no big deal for me. I quite like that idea. <laughs> anyway, so Split came out on Friday and uh, I am seeing it tomorrow in preparation for our Wednesday episode. So we get reviewed on Wednesday. Um but we thought it would be a nice time to sort of look back on the history and career of the screenwriter of Stuart Little to see <laughs> what was he ever any good. Let's talk first about Split itself. Though. Okay. Um, just to warn you, like obviously we won't spoil anything for Split because we've not seen it, but we will be talking spoilers for his other films going forwards. Oh yeah. Um, so Split within the Night Shadow Man. You know, I think it's going to have a twist in it for some reason because he realised that's his market. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I think maybe he got caught up in the idea that the Sixth Sense was such a big sort of um, big sort of overblown thing that he got caught up in the hype of that and then just went, "Well, from now that's on, that's my thing. That that was successful, so I but I better do that in every film. <laughs> so yeah, with Split, it's like. But so what is what do we know about Split so far? Well, we know that James McAvoy plays a character who seemingly abducts these kids, mm-hmm. and then he has twenty three. I think the trailer says yeah. separate personalities living within himself, and his uh, this well, there's a woman in the trailer who I'm presuming is so, somehow connected to him, mm-hmm. who believes that he can change his body chemistry based on his thoughts it's I mean it's bullshit but you know it's interesting bullshit are you excited to see it I'm tentatively well the thing is I think the return of Shyamalan however good the film is I think James McAvoy will clearly have a lot of fun yeah but if you right, so my big my big concern is obviously there's twenty three characters, uh, twenty three personalities living within this one body. Mm-hmm. If he's trying to put twenty three different characters in there, 
I, I don't think that's going to work. Like, he's going to focus on like six or seven, I'd imagine. They'll only show like six, but then they'll reference like others as well. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they'll be like, they'll, Dave, Dave came by earlier. <laughs> you'll see you don't a see list him. on the wall of like all the other ones we fucking didn't miss that we didn't be able to put in. Like, Quincy couldn't turn up. <laughs> you don't see him because he doesn't like being around people. Yeah, he only comes out between 2 and 3 a.m., and none of the action takes place during that time, so. <laughs> What so, you... I think, you know, I'm tentatively excited in a sense for the fact that James McAvoy I really like as an actor and I think might have a lot of fun with this role. But it's an M. Night Shyamalan film and I don't <laughs> have any so faith. I just, I just was giggling at you going, M. Night Shyamalan. Shyamalan? Shyamalan? I'm just going to say it however I want, but you kind of just went... Shyamalan. Uh, That's how I'm going to say it. Um... What do you think the twist will be? Because there's going to be a twist. That it was just one person the whole time. Well, he never had any other personality. He was just pretending. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's a difficult... Right, mental illness is a difficult thing to tackle, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that, <laughs> that M. Knight, my good friend yeah. M. Knight, who I refer to by his first initial and middle name, <laughs> I'm not sure that M. Knight has the chops... <laughs> to tackle this properly, right? Because the thing is, like, doing an accurate representation within a film is very difficult. And there are very famous cases of these characters being put into films. And, you know, the, in, in thrillers particularly, there's a there's a thing with multiple personalities where there's, a, there's an attraction because it's the unknown and it's never fully understood. And even yeah. now, we're still trying to understand what it's like. You know, a big, a big sort of... Um, comparison would be psycho i was gonna say psycho you've you've got norman bates and his split personality of him living with his mother inside his brain and it's that kind of thing where you go you could either nail this and get it done really well or (laughs) you could approach it in a really cavalier attitude that sort of cheapens it and that's my main issue with this film, is that I think it could well turn out to be that he doesn't really understand the issue that he's dealing with. And because he's doing it for cinematic purposes, he's just going to be like, well, I imagine that <laughs> having split personalities will be much like this, this, and this. And he's going, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the way you've told it is quite a childish way of doing it. But that's the my problem, is that M. Night Shyamalan does very childish films sometimes. So what's his twist? There's so I think his twist is going to be it's the same guy and he's just putting on a voice. <laughs> he's just playing dress up. Well, yeah, you know, the, from what we've seen of the trailer, that's my best guess because I, I, I can't see that there's anything else there. I think that the girls are James McAvoy the whole time. You think they're? I think three of the twenty-three personalities. Every single person we see in this film is one of the is one of James right, McAvoy's okay. personalities. Or whether well, they do say he can change his body chemistry, so he might look like Anya Taylor Joy, and speak to her as James McAvoy, but maybe she thinks it's clever it's editing a... of the trailer. Yes, they they're not the same scene. Um, or <laughs> so everybody, or everybody, it's either everybody we see in this film is James McAvoy the whole time, or or everybody nobody in this film is James McAvoy. <laughs> Everybody in this world can change their body chemistry to look, to look like, like James, James McAvoy, McAvoy. at yes. any time. Right, okay, I think that might be it. Or there are 23 James McAvoys. Mm. Maybe that's what it is. They're, they were 23 uplets. <laughs> the poor mother who gave birth to them. 15 like, days in labour. It's like you, you're basically a frog in that you gave birth to that many different children. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. From the trailer, we're given very little to go off, and I have a feeling it will be a shit twist. But I would love it if it was everyone in the world had the ability to turn into James <laughs> McAvoy if they wanted to. Oh, we would know more on Wednesday before not that works out. But let's go back to the beginning, really. Yeah. I wouldn't really. Well, let's not go to the beginning, yeah, beginning, because yeah. Praying with Anger in 1992, nobody saw that. Let's uh, talk about the one where people basically. Came to attention when M Night came to everyone's attention, which was really the Sixth Sense. Yeah, so the Sixth Sense was a. It was it, I, again. I think it benefited from that thing that um, what's it called also benefited from Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. Both of them came out in the same year, and they both benefited from that word of mouth thing. 
Blair Witch Project, people were like, oh my god, you need to see this film. It's about real kids who've gone missing in the wood. Why is no one trying to help them or anything? And people actually genuinely believe that. Yeah. Sixth Sense benefited from it in the same way that the word of mouth um, sort of spreading of that film, oh, there's a thing that happens and you'll be blown away. Like, people wanted to go and see that as Mm -hmm. a result. If the internet was a big, big thing in 1990, you know, like, widely available to everybody... Yeah. It wouldn't have been that big for people yeah. who like, if they'd have gone online and gone, oh, so he was a ghost the whole time. Cool. Sorry, guys. Bruce Willis is a ghost the whole time. Just, uh, you know, that's our first spoiler. So, I, I think... If... Well, no, no, our first spoiler is everyone is James McAvoy uh, the yes, whole time. Yes, because we've guessed that one completely correctly, I imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, for me, I think it's, it's that thing of going, it, it hit at just about the right time where everyone was talking about that one thing but didn't want to say what that one thing was, and they're just like, oh my god, it's a great film, because this thing happens, and it will make you go back and watch the whole thing again, and see if there's any... It's a good film. It's not my favourite no. of his, but it's a good film. I'm trying to think it might be my favourite of his. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it was a well-put-together film. I think, also, it was one of those films that actually scared me at times. Like, for example, yeah, the kid it's... with the bullet hole in the back of her head. Oh, yeah, like, but... The ghosts within the film are terrifying. And, you know, it came out at the time when I I was nine years old when it came out. Yeah. And as a result, when I first saw it on video, I must have only been about 11 or 12, right? Mm -hmm. That stuff is scary. Like, (laughs) for a kid, is properly scary. And I remember key moments from that film, even to this day. Yeah, yeah. Because they're burned into my memory. The hanging. The hanging in the school... Uh, mm. The tent with the girl throwing up and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Every every single thing that I can think of from that film is burned into my memory as like a really <laughs> horrifying moment from my youth. But only because I watched the video at the right time. And I think it was so such a famous film. Like It's basically, if anyone ever makes a joke about spoilers or anything, it will they be always do the, the I, I see dead people mm. line. You know, it's it's such a famous example of you know, a twist in the film, you know. Yeah. Comparatively, we've said, you know, you're looking alongside the levels of um, I Am Your Father and things like that. Yeah. Um, and it, it's now it's now sort of written into cinematic lore as being one of the big reveals of all time. Because did you... I don't know if you can even remember back to when you first watched it. Oh, God, no. See? I can't remember. I can't think that... I, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee to you, despite not remembering the first time I watched it, Apart from the terrifying moments, <laughs> I didn't think I didn't know that that was the twist. Did you ever go back and watch it afterwards after knowing? That? Oh yeah, I've, I've watched it since and gone. Right, let's see if we can pick out any moments. And there is stuff within the film, but yeah. it was deliberate choices by him to say, "Okay, so he can't do certain things, or certain things won't make sense because he's dead." Yeah, like there's this, there's that scene I remember in because I watched this a couple of years ago, I think, um, and there's a scene where he's at a din- dinner the table with his wife, di- uh, and, dinner, yeah. and his wife's just ignoring him, and you're there like, oh, why are you being a dick? Why are you being a dick? He's trying to speak to you. And she's just being rude. And then when you watch it the second time, you're like, now I understand why that is the case. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. Sixth Sense is a, is a decently made film, uh, and I think... Well, that was when the comparison started being drawn. Yeah. They said, oh, well, here he is. He's the next Spielberg. This guy's going to go places. Because I think it was at that time where you they wanted a fresh new voice who would sort of be a big star of a director. Mm-hmm. And they said, yeah, you know, he can tell a story properly. And he could at that point. Yeah, it's just what happened afterwards. Yeah. And the, is. Well, this is, this is the real mystery that surrounds M. Night. In the sense that... The twist was, he was not a good director well, the, the This time. is the thing. There was always a twist in his career. And the twist was, he got lucky a couple of times. That seems to be the way, judging on the sort of past, what, ten years? Yeah. It's almost like, since Sixth Sense, he's always been trying to... Because is it Danny Boyle who says that thing of, um, your first film will always be your best? Because after that point, you're always trying to recapture the magic of the first. Mm. And I honestly think that's true of M. Night, you know. He's always trying to get back to the effect he had with Sixth Sense. Yeah, I think he's he's there like, well, that was great, the fact that everyone called me the new Spielberg. Why did that stop? Because uh, <laughs> of, of what I did afterwards. Um, 
But let's let's sort of move along yeah. and sort Sixth of. Sixth Sense, good or bad? I think Sixth Sense is a good, you know, it's a good film. Uh, it's one of the few examples of his films where I'd be like, watch it and enjoy yeah. it, because there is little enjoyment to be taken from most of his career afterwards. Good, good twist or bad twist? It's a good enough twist. Good twist. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it. I think the problem is now it seems really sort of hackneyed and lazy. Yeah. At the time, good twist. If you're a modern audience and you've not seen it before and you're going in for the first time, you'll probably be like, and what? I've seen this done now. But it was kind of like, well, that was that was the biggest film that had done that. What, what have you got next? Uh, so then a year later, he releases Unbreakable, which for me is my favourite of his. I think, it's, I think it's well made. I think it's got good performances in it. And I think it works in a way that, I don't know, I think it stands up more than Sixth Sense does now. Mm. For me, at least. <clears throat> I've seen about 70% of this film. Always good. Did you miss the twist? <laughs> I know that the twist is that Samuel Jackson was the bad guy the whole time. But this is the thing. It's, I it's, think. <laughs> so, Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson puts in a performance where he's actually quite good in it. And this is rare because I don't I don't know if I'd particularly care for Samuel L. Jackson. I think there's... <laughs> what? Well, no, there's, there's certain roles he does really well in. And there is a certain type of film that he does really well in. But other than that, I'm never overly impressed with Samuel L. Jackson. I'm never like, wow, you've blown me away with your betrayal of... Uh... Obviously, you never watched Snakes on a Plane. Well, no, I did. And that's one of the ones where I think he works because it's exactly the sort of film he should be doing. <laughs> and, like, he, he suits that character, right? And Mr. Glass in, uh, in um, Unbreakable is very... I don't know. I think he he feels like he's a well-rounded character. He feels like he's mm-hmm. there's there's a bit more to him than most of what Samuel L. Jackson sometimes puts out. So I, I kind of watch it and go, I like you in this, and that's rare. Yeah. I even kind of like Bruce Willis in it, and yeah. I'm not a huge Bruce. You know, aside from Die Hard, I I can't say that I watch a film with Bruce Willis and go, Wow, you're really like if you look at him in the last ten years, he's been collecting paychecks since about two thousand and five. <laughs> So for me, I think um, it's it's the strength of the performances helps as well, and I think the the film is put together in a way that just works. Six Sense is also that level of sort of competent filmmaking, mm-hmm. and you can tell that he was riding high off that. He releases this, and it gets very well reviewed, very well uh, sort of critically. It's a huge success commercially. It's a pretty successful film as well. Yeah, yeah, and he's had two good years. I only ever watched like 70% of it because every time I watched it I either ended up having to turn it off for some reason or I think I just got bored. I think Unbreakable just bored me. Like, right. In a way that Sixth Sense didn't. Hmm. But Sixth Sense scared you. That's why. Sixth Sense kept Sixth you Sense captivated. T- there's by... nothing terrifying about watching a man's frail bones break. Yes there is because it could well be your frail bones. <laughs> oh, oh God. You are glass man. <laughs> oh my Lord. Um... I've changed my mind. Yeah, so, you know, Unbreakable did well enough and sort of people people still regard that as a good film and it's 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 a good start to a career when you think about yeah. it. You, find, you know, being that he's already started a career years back, but ignoring the first two, he then comes in with these and then goes, right, okay, I'll set my stall out early and the twist isn't so much of a twist where you feel like the whole film he's depends like... on the crux of that. It feels like the film works around that as yeah. well. He's there like, here's a map, write my name on it. Mm. But then he follows this up in 2002 with Signs. Now, (laughs) Signs is a weird film because Signs is good in parts, but very, (laughs) very bad in other parts, I think. (laughs) And and the issue for me is, um, first of all, M. Night cameos as... um, What's his name in it? It's something... Something weird. Uh, Ray Reddy. There we are. Yeah. And he's got a fairly chunky cameo in it where he he has a lot to give to um, Mel Gibson's character. He's not good in it, obviously, because he's not an actor. You know, he is very much a director. And you're watching it and you're going, I get that you want to do the Hitchcock thing of being in your mm-hmm. films. But be in them in a non-speaking role. This is too much for you to do because I don't feel like you're accurately portraying this character. He's just there like, but I'm the new Spielberg. Yeah, and he's like, oh, you know, I can do anything I want. That isn't true. 
Science was weird one. I remember most of it, I think. Because uh, it was Joaquin Phoenix was in it. Yep. Um, and he was pretty alright. You know. And there isn't a bit with a reflection under a door. So, yeah, there's a bit where um, he he's at Ray Reddy's house. And Ray Reddy says that he's trapped one in his pantry or something like that. Who has a pantry in 2002? <laughs> um, trapped one in his pantry. And um, Mel Gibson goes there and he's got like a knife. Yeah. And he's using the knife to look underneath the door, the crack in the door, and he sees like the thing, the alien moving within the pantry, and then it puts its fingers out and he chops off the fingers or whatever. Um, but this is the thing: the the film works for me in the sense that there are a key, there are a key couple of moments that are really quite, ooh, chilling. Mm. Now, the the biggest one for me is they're watching a news report from Mexico. Yeah. Yes. And it's I like a birthday mean. party. And, yeah, and they're yeah. like, oh, this astounding footage that was captured at a child's birthday party in Mexico City or something. And they've and you're seeing it on the TV through this handicam. And an alien walks between two bushes in the background. That's a really great moment. Only because I think I've seen that video on social media since. Mm. Of people saying, oh, have you seen this news report? Oh, really? I'm sure I've seen it. Like, people have used that as a... Yeah, uh, oh my god, aliens must exist because of this news report. Like, this home video called out in Mexico. And you're like, that's in a film! Yeah, but it, this is the thing. It properly captures that sort the of... The same people are there going, oh, have you seen this speech by the president? Apparently it's our Independence Day today. <laughs> also, our president is now... Um, who is it in the Independence Day? Bill, Bill Pullman. Pullman. There we are. Uh, yeah, and it's it's that kind of thing where you you watch it and you think, wow, this this actually feels like they've captured <laughs> what it's like when people are like, oh wow, I've seen Bigfoot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you see that sort of grainy footage of something that definitely is not Bigfoot, <laughs> but they're claiming it's Bigfoot. But this is a really great moment where he walks in front of the thing and you you get that sort of oh chill. Mm-hmm. You can't have a film be a success off the back of that one moment though <laughs> and for me signs isn't because it, it has moments like that it's got not many it starts in an intriguing way you know of just are these crop circles that are being created from aliens you know building on that theory that you know has been there a long time um and i think it starts interesting enough but the problem is it then becomes goes into the territory of stupid yeah it starts getting just sort of loud and incredibly silly and like, I, I wanted it to be better than it was, mm-hmm. and uh, despite the chilling moments, you just go, "I just don't believe in this." Um, and I know that it's a film, and you shouldn't necessarily have to believe in it. But come on, try. And the twist. So, what was the twist in Signs? The twist in Signs is that the aliens are allergic to water the whole time. I mean. <laughs> what was the point you made to me earlier when we were doing about this was if aliens were allergic to water why'd they come to a planet that is 75% water like <laughs> it makes no sense You, if you're an alien who has the capability of inter, interplanetary travel or whatever mm-hmm. surely you've done your research and you're like that blue stuff there is called poison <laughs> we should probably avoid that planet <laughs> This planet is seventy five percent poison. Let's just keep off the poison bits. And it's, it's fine. De- and it's defeated by baseball and water. <laughs> it's it's mind numbingly. The American stupid. dream, mate. That's this what is it. Is. They're like, oh well, what's what's America's pastime? Ah, oh, baseball. And what's America's favourite drink? Well, root beer. But we can't kill them with root beer because the world isn't seventy five percent root beer. We'll make it water. <laughs> what is the water seventy five percent of? Exactly. Yeah. It's like. If the world was 75% like cotton, they would have just been like, throw some cotton at it. The thing is, his his original pitch for this was, the aliens come down and they have to play the humans at a baseball game. And, and then, then, unfortunately, Space, Bam, Space, Space Jam, Bam, Space Space Jam Bam. beat them to the punch. Uh, so, for me, science is a, is a miss, yeah. but with a couple of moments where I'm like, oh, I like that, but that's just not enough. No, absolutely. Absolutely. What did we get after that? We got The Village in 2004, which is, I think... I've never seen it, but I know the twist. That helps. I think has more about it than Signs did, and works to a point. Um, mm. Obviously, the, uh, so the twist in uh, The Village is that they're living in this um, colonial village, 
and they're told not to go into the woods because there's monsters there that get you and stuff. But actually, the real reason is because they're living in the modern day the whole time. <laughs> and it's just, you know, that's one where you go, I can see what's coming. I can mm-hmm. see definitely what's coming. And it just feels like it's a... Mainly because in one scene, they're there in the village, and outside there's a group of like young kids in the tent, just on their mobile phones and stuff. It's like, it's the Blair Witch. The Blair Witch the Blair, is going The Blair on. Witch is happening next door to this being shot. So, yeah, the village, I think, it works to a point. I think it's got some some decent stuff to it, but I think it is let down by the fact that the twist is so obviously sort of like, come on, really? <laughs> really? I thought we would be doing something a little bit more different. But, uh, what twist would have you wanted? I don't know. That Actually, the monsters did exist and, you know, everyone died. <laughs> and the monsters were real the whole time. Yeah, the monsters were real the whole time. It's a good twist. <laughs> I think, that's the, I think that's the twist that Pacific Rim used. Yeah, that is. Oh, they were never not real. And they're like, oh, maybe they've just built giant robots for the fun of it. No, no, the kaiju are real. The kaiju are real. Good twist, Guillermo. Good, good twist. Good twist. Or, I like a twist that I can see coming. Or they weren't real and they just used the, they just used the robots <laughs> to stomp on cities. Hmm. That would be a good twist as well. <laughs> Isn't the that just Power Rangers? The government are stomping on cities. Good idea. <laughs> Call me Hollywood. Pacific Rim 2, Government Smash. <laughs> anyway, so after The Village, which was, for me, the last one that actually works, comes Lady in the Water. I think I've seen this, but I can't remember. Because I think I might be getting it mixed up with the one where... Um, is it Harrison Ford and there's a woman in a bathtub. What lies beneath? Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Right, okay. So, <laughs> I don't know if I have seen Lady in the Water or whether I've just seen What Lies Beneath. Well, no, so Lady in the Water is about uh, basically uh, a young woman being found in a pool in an apartment mm-hmm. complex mm-hmm. and the the caretaker, the superintendent <clears> of <throat> the apartment complex is the one that rescues her from there. And it's all about finding out... So... The twist of it is, um, she's a character from a story, and she's trying to make her way back home. What? Exactly, yeah. So, it's... It's stupid in so many different ways, and it doesn't work at all. The weird thing is, it's got, um, who is it? It's Paul Giamatti. Yeah, yeah, just doing the most sort of preposterous performance that, and Paul Giamatti is one of these people that either puts in a really good performance or choose the scenery like you've never seen. But <laughs> see, Amazing Spider-Man too. Yeah, and my God, he's got scenery in his mouth all throughout this, <laughs> and it's not even in an enjoyable way where you're like, oh wow, he's really enjoying this. It's just like, oh, he knows that he's in shit. He knows this is a terrible <laughs> film. So it's. You know, it's the first time that you've got a twist that is truly bafflingly stupid, I think. Like, apart from the fact that 75% of the world is water and the aliens inside <laughs> are idiots. But Lady in the Water doesn't really have any redeeming features. I, I, I can't think of it and go, oh, but I did like... No, there, there's nothing in it where I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a nice little there's, thing. There's a really did. nice point where Harrison Ford... Buys the lady in the bathtub. <laughs> if you switch the DVD to <laughs> What Lies Beneath halfway through. Or if you don't switch it, you just end up watching What Lies Beneath believing this. It's like, oh, M. Night Shyamalan did this film. Crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, but that was like 2006 now. Yeah. So that's that was the watermark, I feel, where it's the turning of the tide. Where suddenly he's gone, I'm going to do this. And you go, I'm going to not going, watch hmm. that. I'm going to stay away from this now. Um but, of course, that wasn't where he decided to end his career because, you know, Split came out this week. So, uh, you know, we've still got another four or five films to get through. <laughs> Lady of the Water is a miss. Big miss. Don't bother. Well, I missed it, so... <laughs> um, then after that, we have possibly the, the strangest film on the list in The Happening. <laughs> I love how stupid this film is. Like, I really do. The Happening is one of those films where you're struggling to believe that anyone had serious intentions when they made this film. 
because it's essentially a parody <laughs> of itself while you watch it. And and you think, oh, this is just parodying M. Night Shyamalan films. Like, it just feels like... No one gives a performance where you're like, oh, wow, that's a really grounded, realistic performance. You, you go, it, uh, do they think they're in a cartoon? It's, it's the performance of Mark Wahlberg. The constant really... disbelief of Mark Wahlberg at everything does that, in the film. Anyone who could do a good impression of Mark Wahlberg, I'm pretty sure, does the impression of him from The Happening. Yeah. When he's just like, what? Why? What? No. Oh, yeah. God. What? No. That What's happening of, here? That kind of thing, right? And th- there's just so much stupidity in this film. Like, there's bits where... Isn't there a bit where a guy gets off a combine harvest or something and then just goes and lies in lies front of it? Lies down in front of it and lets it run him over. And it's... So the twist of the twist of the happening is that people start <laughs> killing themselves in weird ways because the trees make them do it. It was the trees the whole time. It's nature turning against man, and you just think this is fucking stupid. But it's the kind of film where you're watching it and you're going, "This is this is being made in jest. This has got to be like no one had a straight face when they were making this." But they did. Hmm. You get the impression that M. Night Shyamalan really felt, hey, here's the film that I want to make. It's a really good twist this time. The trees make us kill ourselves. <laughs> He's there like, this is going to be what helps us think about climate change. Because exactly. if we don't fix this planet, the planet will do it itself. Mm. And it will make us run but ourselves over. If we don't fix this planet and it does get destroyed, then no copies of The Happening will ever exist. I genuinely that. don't think they do. I've seen enough of those. It's the kind of thing that you definitely see in the pre-owned DVD sections of, of various different establishments. Charity and shops just have them all across the shop. It's like 50p, and even that you feel like is overpaying. But everyone in it puts in a performance as if they're in... Uh, Does it have Zoe Deschanel? Zoe Deschanel plays the uh, the lady in it, yeah. And yeah. it feels like it's um, it's one of those sci-fi movies. Like a shark Like a Sharknado or a Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus or a, you know, uh, Mecha Shark or whatever. <laughs> and it feels like it's something like that where they've just gone, right, so the budget for this film is roughly a tenner. We're going to make a funny film that will become a cult movie because it's so, so bad. <laughs> and you're watching it, you're going, is that what happened? And then you go, no, it had a budget, it had proper stars in it, and it was a yeah. big deal. It's almost like he um, read Stephen King's cell and went, well, he's already done the cell phones killing everyone, so why don't I just change it to trees? Maybe that's it. Maybe he, he was just like, I'll steal someone else's idea and just sort of run with it. But trees are not scary. Monumentally stupid. The problem is the house plants as well. Mm. You know, the vegetable gardens, they were murdering people. Now, we move... people in greenhouses just like dropping plates of glass on themselves. We move on from the happening in 2008. <laughs> what do we have to? We, we fast forward to 2010. 2010's an interesting year. There's two films in this year. The Last Airbender, <laughs> which is, I believe, rubbish, but I've never seen because I have no attachment to the series or anything. Neither do I. But you did see it. But I watched it. I, I think I've watched it one and a quarter times. Why would you go back for the quarter? So I watched it once. If it's as bad as I've been led to believe. I watched it once with Mark. We said we are going to give it a go. We watched it and... It is awful. Mm. It's terribly directed. Uh, the only thing I know about the series as well, it's nothing like the series. It's, um, it got a lot of grief because it was pretty much whitewashed. whitewashed. Yeah. Um, and the only um, characters of any real ethnicity were the bad guys. Yeah. Um, and its effects are terrible. Right. You know, the acting is terrible. Mm-hmm. The story is terrible. The reason I went back a quarter of time, I genuinely think it's because you said you wanted to watch it and we got about... 15 minutes in and you went, I can't do this. Ah, I don't even think it wasn't a quarter. It was 10 minutes at most. <laughs> at most it was 10 minutes. And I just went, I don't have the time in my life to dedicate to this film. It's... It doesn't matter if I live for 100 years. I won't have enough time to watch that film. Like It is genuinely just awful. But if you're taking, maybe this is the problem. He goes and chooses new source material that he didn't come up with. Yeah. 
maybe he's just better. No, hang on, no, because the happening was him as well. And <laughs> we've worked out that he's not good at that either. So uh, is the problem with the fact that he can't adapt the source material properly? I think so. Like, is could... the problem that everything about it is terrible? The thing is, I think the source material can be adapted. Like, it's not even a case of it It can't be adapted. Like, it's unadaptable. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like, say, High Rise, where people went, that story is almost impossible to adapt unless you get somebody in the right yeah. moment. I think it's a case of he just didn't know how to do it. Okay. Um, you think in someone else's hands, there is a version of The Last Airbender that, that you could work. make work. It could work. Um, and the problem is, it's a lot like that Dragon Ball Z movie. Mm. where it's just completely different to what you want. And you just go, it's not hard to do this because you just have to take what makes the series good and sort of port that over in a way that is cinematic. And you go, surely there must be a way of doing that. Clearly, M. Night has gone, I will do it my way. And my way might not be the best way, but it'll be the way that I choose. I think the reason why this film struggled so hard is because there wasn't really a twist in it. Yeah. And I think that's where M. Night, as we've proven, thrives. Yeah. So, unless... Oh, also, the problem I had with this film was it was called Airbender. Yeah. And that made me chuckle. Too much. Too much. Because when did this go? 2010. 2010. So yeah, when you're in the cinema and everyone's on about like bending and stuff like that, it just really made me laugh. It should have just been called Avatar. Yeah. James Cameron beat him to the punch on that one. Yeah, it's a kicker. Just better directors <laughs> always beating him to the punch. <laughs> Maybe M. Night Shyamalan thought he was directing Avatar. Maybe that was it. So he's trying There's to... not enough blue people in it. Is there anyone blue in uh, The Last Airbender? The kid had a little blue arrow on his head. Well, that's enough, I suppose. He's one of the Na'vi. Na'vi? Is that it? <laughs> Na'vi? When do we get the new avatars? Is that next year? I don't know. I don't well. want it. Anyway, uh, so, 2010, I said it was an important year because it had two films in it. The other film was just one that he produced and also came up with a story to and was meant to be the first in a trilogy of films called The Night Chronicles. <laughs> okay. It's called Devil. Yes. Have you seen Devil? No, I saw. I've I seen the Devil. trailer. Oh wow! It is bad. <laughs> it is bad in ways that you didn't think it could be. So Devil is essentially the story of a few people trapped in an elevator with the devil. Ooh! What a what a twist that is. Ooh! But that's not the end because where's, that he, isn't tra- the only where's twist. he trying to get to? Um, I HR. Well, I'm, I'm presuming he's trying to get to the sort of the core of humanity and corrupt it from within. So HR, yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, no, so basically the, 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 the whole premise of the film is that the devil is in the elevator and you're led to believe that is he's living within one of these people. Yeah. And you have to guess which person it is. The twist is it's one of the people who dies near the beginning is still alive and is the devil. <laughs> and you just go, no, no, this is not this is not good storytelling. It's got some of... I mean, he didn't write the screenplay, but he came up with a story. But the screenplay itself is so woefully bad. It's awful. And it's some of the weirdest dialogue, because you're like, okay, I get what you're trying to get at. It, it feels very preachy and sort of it's it's obviously got heavy religious connotations mm. to it but there's some dialogue between security guards uh one of them is obviously a god-fearing sort of hispanic security guard yeah you know with his rosary beads in one hand and his i don't know he's, he's got he's got so many cliches going on that he's like okay right he, there's a bit where he gets a piece of toast with jam on it mm-hmm and he goes, if the devil's around, it'll land jam side up. And he drops it and lands jam side up. Like, it's one of those films where you're just watching it and you go, what are you doing? And I know that he only produced this and he came up with the story. But the fact of the matter is, this was supposed to be the first in a series of three films. So one a year for three years where he would produce and do the story, but someone else would come yeah, up yeah. with the actual directing and the screenplay. They canned it after this because it was so bad. The thing it, is, this know, story did read, Devil in the Elevator, 
person who dies at the beginning is actually the devil jam side up. Yeah, and the, the jam side up thing is one of the key moments in the film for me because it just demonstrates the stupidity of everything about it. Because you just go, is that really the best you had to offer? <laughs> a, a, an argument about jam? Or peanut butter or something like that. It's a, it's a topping on a piece of bread. Yeah. And it's just like, well, if the devil's around, it will go the other way around than you'd think. And you just go, what? Well, is... And I'd imagine as it falls, it does that inception thing where it's just falling so much, it just keeps spinning. Just like an inch above the ground, it's just spinning. And, and it like... to Based on a Story by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Blah. Blah. <laughs> the security guard's like, oh, what size is it going to fall? What size is it going to fall? Is the devil here or not? It's like, the jam's spinning in the air! <laughs> so... 2010 was a bad year because it saw the movie series that he wanted to start crash and burn in the sense that The Last Airbender, I'm presuming, was going to be part yeah, of Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a franchise. And the movie series that he was going to produce also crashed and burned. <laughs> Not a good year. So what's the way to follow that up? Well, take three years out and then direct After Earth. Now, you didn't see After Earth. No. I didn't see After Earth. But enough people The cinema-going it. audience didn't go see After Earth. From everything that... I mean, the thing is, we've seen um, The Get Down last year yeah. on Netflix, which was a great, great series. However, suffered from the fact that Jaden Smith was in it. Now, Jaden Smith was also in After Earth, and every single clip I've ever seen of After Earth features Jaden Smith being absolutely terrible. And it doesn't... It doesn't fill you with confidence that it's got Will Smith in it in sort of the later 2000s, because <laughs> Will Smith has had some troubled years recently in terms of his output. Until he knocked out of the park of that suicide squad. And that, um, what's it called? Collateral beauty. There we are. I was about to say fundamentals of caring. That's not the right one. But yeah, he's he's got recently a little bit slack with his movie choices. And After Earth definitely seems like this kind of film where you go, is this your one shot of redemption? Is this you trying to say, I can direct <laughs> films again? Because again, he didn't write the script for that one. Yeah. Or is it him going, give me big stars and I can make a big movie that works? But imagine he's looking for... He evidently can't. He's looking for a script going, find me a script with the biggest twist. Make that twist. It was Earth the whole time. And I just don't think... Because it's it's basically about creatures that feast on your happiness or emotions or fear or something like... I don't know. You're thinking collateral beauty again, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Helen Mirren plays a creature. (laughs) A succubus, I think they call him. Uh, no, but we didn't see it, but it's because... It's, it's in history now as one of those big flops of his. Yeah. Uh, alongside things like The Last Airbender, where it's terribly reviewed, you know, sitting around 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and you think, it's never a good sign. Um, then we had one more before... You, we had, yeah, we had one more that came out in 2015, which I, I caught up with last year. And it was hailed as being his return to form. And... A lot of critics really went for this film. Uh, it's called The Visit. And um, it was filmed entirely in secret, basically. No one knew anything about it mm-hmm. until he announced that it was being released. Well, I think it was two or three months away. So he he went away, made this film completely unbeknownst to the, the media. And then came back and went, I have made this film. It's <laughs> going to be the best. And everyone went, oh, wow. He's gone away. He's taken some time after After Earth to really think about himself. To look in the mirror and have a himself in the mirror and really chastise himself. But he's come back with this strong entry. The twist is good. The plot is great. The acting is great. I can tell you now, none of these things are true. (laughs) I've watched this film last year and I was baffled that any critic really went for it because it's... Number one, the performances are irritating beyond belief, particularly that of the kid. Uh, there's one, uh, so there's two kids in the film played by child actors who I don't know, and the boy is awful, really dreadful. But maybe that's the point. Maybe it's the fact that he's trying to be an irritating child. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about two children who get sent to go and stay with their grandparents while their mum goes on a cruise where she's going to have sex with younger men. That genuinely the premise of the film. <laughs> She goes on a cruise and at various times during the film Skypes with them and she's just there like, oh, I've got to go and dance with Rodrigo now or something. But if you look in the background, Rodrigo's dropping a bit of toast and watching it rotate in the floor. He's just like, I think the devil's on the ship. <laughs> Clutching his rosary beads. <laughs> so, 
so basically, they get sent to live with their grandparents for a, for a week or so. And they've never met their grandparents because they've been uh, estranged from the mother. But the, they they basically get in contact and say, you know, we'd like to we'd like to see our grandkids. So she goes, oh, this is great. I can go on my cruise. I can send them away. And then I can have sex with Rodrigo. Winners everywhere. So they turn up at the place and they're met with their grandparents. The grandparents take them back to the house. But oh no, guess what happens? Someone, I think one of the grandparents spills sauce onto the webcam on the laptop. So <laughs> the microphone still works. So they can talk to their mum. But the mum can't see the grandparents now. Guess what? The grandparents aren't the grandparents. They are escaped mental patients from a local asylum. The whole time. And you just go, for God's sake, I thought we were done with this. <laughs> so the, essentially the thing boils down to the kids are told, don't come out of your room after 9pm because at that time it's like, that's bedtime, you don't need to come out after that. And it's essentially because the grandma strips off naked and starts wandering around the house and starts clawing the walls and stuff. My God, it's a stupid film. Why do they invite the kids? To eat them or something, I don't know. There's definitely a bit in the trailer where... Um, she tells her to get in the like, oven. Oh, are you just getting in the oven? Climb inside. And I'll be like, no! Yeah. No, I will not, well, there's, actually. There's a bit... That happens twice in the film. One time, it's perfectly innocent, and she... I mean, perfectly innocent, but weird, in the sense that she climbs inside an oven... But nothing happens. And then the second time, it's like, yeah, she she pushes the door shut and tries to cook her in an oven. You just go, what is... It's the Hansel and Gretel thing, but with the M. Night treatment. And you go, right, well, you've made Hansel and Gretel worse, and it's already suffered with witch hunters. <laughs> so what are you trying to do here? What are you trying to bring to this? And essentially, he's trying to bring to it, oh, well, I wanted to revive my career. Well, the thing is, it was a really... Like, after you saw it, I guess, the twist. Yeah, it's such an easy thing to do, because as soon as you get them arriving there, the the, the grandparents, in inverted commas, they go out, and then people come around to the house and say, oh, your grandparents in? They go, oh, no. And you go, oh, how fucking convenient is that? No one's ever around <laughs> when they want them to. And then they're all talking about this mental asylum re- nearby, and you go, oh, okay, right, I, I get exactly what's happening like, here. Oh, uh, yeah, welcome to your grandparents' house. Conveniently, we live next door to... Mega scary mental asylum. There's James McAvoy. Mm. So maybe that's the twist. James McAvoy James is one McAvoy of the grandparents the, the whole yes, time. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so that brings us back up to the present day, right? Yeah. The visit was hailed as his return to form. I believe it was a continuation of his terrible form. <laughs> so that justifies me thinking that actually maybe he his form is terrible all the time and he got lucky with the first two or three films. <laughs> Is M. Night a hit or is he a miss overall? What would you say? Absolutely a miss. Like There's there's so much stupid in his world. So mm. I honestly see an M. Night... Like, when I see his trailer and his name comes up, I'm like... Nah, there is a sinking feeling. I don't think I'm going to see this one, actually. Like I watched the split trailer and I went, okay, this looks interesting. Then I saw it was him and I went, oh, but it's going to be one of those, isn't it? But interestingly, the um, the split trailer... It says, from the director of Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, The Visit. It doesn't mention Lady in the Water. It doesn't mention <laughs> The Happening, Airbender. Last Airbender, After Earth. Because if it did, you'd lose every single person in does that Does it audience. say his name in the trailer? Or does it do the Hacksaw Ridge thing of just, from the director of Braveheart? Well, that's right. Like, I mean, that, mm. Mel's got his own reasons for keeping his name off things these days. I mean, this is the thing. It's like, from the Academy Award winning director of Braveheart, and you just go, you also have to mention that it is Mel Gibson. <laughs> you, you can't just I've not with... seen his name on any trailer yet. Yeah, and you won't. I don't think you will, because I don't think Hollywood's quite ready to accept him again. Nominated for a Golden Globe recently, but he didn't win because it's not. Time for that. They can't justify giving him that after what he's done. <laughs> but I think M. Night's suffering from the same thing in the sense that it's difficult to put your name to something. I imagine now, I imagine when I go to see Split, it will say, you know, M. Night Shyamalan's Split or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because he's he's egotistical enough to believe that everyone wants to see his latest work. And I think it'll do very well for itself. I think it'll... I, in fact, I've seen the box office figures from the first weekend. It's, it's open strong mm. from uh, last night. 
So, I, I kind of get what he's doing here. If he's going off the success of the visit, the critical success of the visit, he's made a film where James McAvoy is a talented actor, there's no denying that. Yeah. And is well respected within movies. Maybe he's trying to play off the sense of that. I'm... I'm at a loss to think what the twist might be, other than <laughs> maybe it's the same asylum that the visit worked in, and maybe it's the same uh, thing where everyone in the world can be James McAvoy <laughs> if they just wish it. James McAvoy was an asylum the entire time, so I'm I'm trepidatious going into it. Yeah, and I'll be interested He's... tomorrow to see how it. Let's is. just say M Night is an interesting character. It's the the movie world is more interesting with him around. It's it's a weird thing in the it's a, he's like a curate's egg. There are some good stuff. It's been a while since you've mentioned curate's egg on the podcast, but they are overwhelmingly ruined by the bad parts of it. And it's a shame because is there potential there in the early films? You'd say so. But actually it does feel like maybe he just tricked his way into everyone's good graces and now we've seen the real M. Night and it's yeah. not a talented director at all. <laughs> um, so I think that's I suppose that's where we're ending it for today. Yeah. We've recapped pretty much everything that he's ever done apart from Stuart Little which is a decent stab at that. I think. Twist was the mouse was Jonathan Nicky the, the whole time. time. Where can they find us Alex? Uh, all over the place. <laughs> on iTunes. Sorry, I wasn't thinking. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on Buzzsprout, where you can also rate, comment, subscribe, and review. Do all that stuff and just be kind and, you know, just, you know, give us what we deserve. Five stars. So nothing. Five stars. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got the uh, the official page there is the official page. As if there's an unofficial page. There is page. an unofficial page. It's doing much better than the official page. Uh, Dinosaur Man Nerdcast. We're also on Twitter at Dinosaur Man 15. If you disagree with us on any of these issues, let us know. Uh, if you really like the visit, let me know. I will tell you exactly why you're wrong. <laughs> and if you have seen Split, let us know. Because we're going to be reviewing that on Wednesday. I yeah, it'll yeah. be this Wednesday, so that'll be reviewed. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll have some, you know, we'll have some interesting opinions about that one. Yeah, well, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Andy. You've been an absolute treat. Great, and until next time, just remember the twist for today was... We were a podcast the whole time. Dinosaur. 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 Man.